Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girlbomb. Girlbomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self-care. So to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. The Around the NFL Podcast is slightly weaker than the NFC East. <laughs> Welcome. Please. To another edition of the Around the NFL podcast presented by the United States Marine Corps. My name is Dan Hansis, and I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, what is up, boys? I, I take umbrage uh, with that little intro. We're stronger than the NFC East. It's a day after Thanksgiving, and look at us. Like, we're the fittest, smartest, most best-looking trio on the block. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, mean, I know personally I'm battling like a massive head cold right now. So the fact that okay. anyone on if you're logged into NFL.com and watching this, I apologize personally or if you're listening, Dan. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was tough. Thursday, Thursday, Thanksgiving this year was, you know, there at the Hansis house. It was just the four of us. And for some reason, it was the hardest Thanksgiving ever. I don't know what it was, but my wife and I, my, mm. my wife, and you know, God bless her. She's great. She's uh, cool. She's hot, and she does good stuff in the kitchen. She knows how to cook. Uh, but there's just so much to make for Thanksgiving, even though it's just four of us. And then you have to clean all of that. And then the children, Sessler, the children, Greg, they need to be entertained for 17 straight hours and cleaned up after. I I can't tell you. I am less of a man now than I was yesterday morning. I can tell you that. <laughs> Fighting through, though. <laughs> My goodness, what a you, day you, that was. You look great. You you wouldn't know it. Um, that's why you know. I, that's why I think uh, the move on Thanksgiving. You got to call to the bullpen, pick up some of the food catering, make some. So it's a little bit of a mix. Take a little bit of the load off because I'm not helping in the kitchen. So I hear you. It's it's too much. Yeah, I did fry a turkey. That was nice, and that and that tasted well. But that tasted good. But that was like you know, that's a lot of work too. I'm dying here, Sessler. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of work. But yeah, listen, I think you're you're. For all that anyone's going through, I always look to you as sort of the heroic figure um, Thank you. that you're, you're taking on more, and uh, I really do appreciate your efforts. And we have so much to get to here with uh, 
uh, week 12 on the horizon. But, Mark, I, I, I have to ask because it is the number one food day of the year on some level. And you are a fooditarian, famously. You don't like to eat. Uh, what do you do on Thanksgiving? Take the audience through what your Thanksgiving was like. Well, it's rather bleak. It's not going to impress anyone. I mean, actually, uh, Simone's family has hosted Thanksgiving, huge Thanksgivings for years. And I've often missed them because, you know, of the NFL slate. But um, Simone and the kids went and met with uh, the grandparents in a remote locale near Yosemite. Um, so I was home, you know, watching the games and oh. doing our little pod and uh, – doing this thing today. So I actually ate um, a piece of pizza that I had ordered um, uh, from two days before. And not. And I don't really, I haven't had turkey since like 1997. So I don't I don't even know what it tastes like at this point. I remember it being very mealy. Like you'd, you'd chew it, it would just stay in your mouth. And you're like, get this over with, please. But that probably wasn't the best version of turkey. That was <laughs> no, such a gross, gross description. <laughs> Sorry. I, you shouldn't have come to me on that. No, I mean, I, I shared on Good Morning Football the other day, um, hot takes of Thanksgiving. Oh, turkey's bad. I mean, can we calm down everyone thinking they're special because they say turkey's not a, a tasty meat? All right, we get it. You've mm. you've nailed it. You're an outlier. Way to go, everybody. So you're saying what I just said is a very cliche trite. Well, you don't like but any I, meat, really. I also, so ha- like I also just said I haven't had it. I don't. I don't have an. I'm not on a hill. You know, and some anti turkey hill. I think it's a tad ponderous that everyone's like, "Oh, I'm gonna have like turkey sandwiches for the next six days." It's like, ugh. All right, fine. Like whatever. I mean, it's fine. I hope everyone had a nice time. Mark Zessler, one slice of pizza on Thanksgiving, 2020. All right, let's get into it. And you know how we do it, draft style, as we go through each of the games. Of course. As as you just heard, Mark said, uh, Greg and Mark handled the Thanksgiving, the two games on the slate. So you knock those off. No teams on bye this week unless a team has to be or two teams have to be uh, not playing this weekend. And we'll get to that later in the show. But let's focus on things that we know are happening or we think we know are happening. And I have the first overall pick. A uh, big moment for the old Zeuser. And with the first overall pick... House Hansis selects Kansas City Chiefs at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Motto mm. at the big pirate ship. Uh, this is a uh, Sunday late game. This, uh, Joe, Troy, I think so. Aaron Andrews. Jim Nance, I believe. And oh, Tony this is Romo, Jim. Maybe. Look at that. Oh, wow. This is Jim up. and Tony. Okay. All right. That's good. So I'm really excited about this. I mean, more excited uh, and for obvious reasons. You have Patrick Mahomes. I still think, despite the Steelers being undefeated, I think this, this league goes through Kansas City still. I think this is the best team in football. I loved what we saw um, against the Raiders. Maybe you could pick at their defense a little bit. You let Derek Carr go off on you. Uh, but that is a good Raiders team that was feeling confident and playing loose and free in primetime in their building, and you almost uh, got picked up, but you didn't because you have Patrick Mahomes, and then you have the Bucks. And this is, Greg, this is a fascinating game for Tampa Bay uh, because a month ago we saw them as the team in the NFC, and they've now lost two of three, uh, losses to the Saints, lost to the Rams, and now a big test against the defending champion. 
Yeah, I, I looked at this game you know, a few weeks ago. I'm thinking this is the game of the year. Like, let's see the Bucks against the best. Are the Bucks a true Super Bowl contender? Now we're thinking, can the Bucks even hang on? We don't know who's going to pop up in the NFC, who could possibly take a spot from them. Uh, but they look so good or so bad to me. They are like the biggest value add, the most fascinating team in the league, whether they're good or they're bad. Like, I love to watch them. I think after a while, we're almost taking for granted uh, that Tom Brady is on a team in 2020 with Antonio Brown coached by Bruce Arians and Rob Gronkowski and that this is all happening and that not only that but that they're like number one or two by every advanced metrics uh, analytics along with the Chiefs let's say as one Still? of the top two teams in the league that the defense is awesome yet when they look bad they look so bad right Dan? I Yes that's I absolutely I was surprised to hear you say that because I feel like what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is this team be exposed as a non-superpower in the league. But perhaps, Mark Sessler, this is just a slump that all teams tend to go through unless you're the Steelers or the Chiefs. I don't know. They have some of that classic DNA of the build a team um, that just doesn't quite work out. Uh, But they're not that entirely because outside of Brady, Antonio Brown and Gronk, this was the team last year. Uh, so I, you know, I don't want to slash them with that label, but I, I do think that there's an element to this offense that um, I remember back in April, I was thinking the one thing I want to know is how are you going to set up Tom Brady with running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield that was such a huge element to New England's offense. Last year in New England, you know, with Tom Brady not quite the, play, quite the passer he's been um, in years of old, those running backs had 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones are not doing that this year for the Bucs. That's just one little aspect that kind of concerns me. They've got a great group of wide receivers, but I just am not totally sold on this team. As I'm with you, Dan, that I think that, you know, in the AFC, you go through Kansas City, and I think the Saints have showed us, basically, that you're going to come through us, Tampa Bay and everyone else. I mm. still think Tampa Bay get to 11 wins. If you look at the rest of their schedule, even if they lost this game— their schedule is pretty cupcake from here to the end. They can get to 11 wins, but I don't trust them as an NFC superpower at this point. The one, Am I being I too harsh? this is a good matchup for them. This is a good matchup because the Chiefs have not been rushing the passer that well. Ali Marpet, their great guard, the Bucks, uh looks like he's going to be returning. You can run against the Chiefs, and that helps Brady too. Like They've been very matchup specific. When they play a great defense, then Brady's in trouble. This is not a great Chiefs defense, so I think this should be fun. Maybe not too different than that Raiders Chiefs. Chiefs game where it's just back and forth in the 30s at the end. Yeah, I think it. I think it's a little bit off for anyone to say, well, maybe this isn't working as an experiment uh, with the Bucks because so we already saw them locked in where it, it all was, had come together earlier this season, where the defense is playing out of its mind, Tampa, and Tom Brady was cooking and everything was clicking. So it's like this. Yes, it did work. The experiment worked with this team coming together, but now they have to find a way to fight through. Uh, a little bit of a slump, but even on Monday night, I don't think the Bucks played poorly. I think Tom Brady played poorly, and that, and that's something to watch out for. Ooh, I think that, you're loving this. I think you're loving this. I You've been waiting for the Brady decline forever, and now it's finally you know here, and you're <laughs> no, loving. I it. think there's one there's one element when Logan Ryan intercepted Tom Brady in that playoff game in January, took it to the house, ended his uh, Patriots career. That's when my animosity for Brady went out the window, honestly. I I don't have that Mm. same feeling about Mm. him in in Tampa, but I do worry about him. I have to say in terms of 
when you have a pass rush, for instance, that Los Angeles had last week, he's going to see these matchups that are not in his wheelhouse as a 43-year-old man, and I think it's going to get them picked off eventually. Maybe you're right, Greg. Mm. Maybe the Chiefs um, aren't that team that's going to give him trouble uh, in terms of a pass rush and making him uncomfortable. Uh, but uh, I, I, I've lost faith in Brady for sure. Well, I will tell you it's one a- thing real quick that I, I look at the coaching matchup and I've been a Bruce Arians file, if that's how you describe that, um, for a long time. I've always liked Bruce Gross. Arians, but I don't think that he gives you the advantage um, that a top three or four coach does. And I think Andy mm. Reid is going to have a lot to say in this game. Uh, and I, you know, Arians, I, th- I love his honesty, but he's kind of like calling out Tom Brady a little bit last week for some of those um, gaffes that he made. So I feel very confident in Kansas City and confident enough for the first time all year to lock up the Kansas City Chiefs. I've checked with our sources um, in the desert, and we are in fair territory oh, with that. Yeah. I'm looking in the mirror proudly, oh, yeah. and I'm going to ride with Kansas City. That's a that's a good one. This is the a big more, game for the Chiefs. There's a rule. There's a rule with our locks that like you know how how shaky someone feels about it, depending on how much they defend themselves as they build up to it. So I put Mark at about a six be. and a half out of ten. Like he's not makes no sense. I I, you know. I think this is a dangerous game for the Chiefs. Uh, if they can lo- if they lose this game, they're probably not getting that one seed. By the way, and this is the toughest defense they've played all year. I don't feel shaky about the lock. I feel good about mm-hmm. it. I feel shaky about having to defend locking the Chiefs with this crowd because I would come at someone doing that. But it it is a it's a much tighter <laughs> matchup than nine out of ten. Chiefs. I guess. Players. I guess when it comes to our locks competition, whenever you can lock up the Chiefs, you should. And Mark Sessler has. All right, let's move on now uh, to the second overall pick, Mark Sessler. Well, I like this pick. You know, I, I've been critiqued um, in weeks of old for some of my draft picks being a little <laughs> bit out there, but you have to have a vision. This time, this is just a good meat and potatoes pick. Tennessee at Indianapolis, AFC South showdown. Uh, it's one of these weird deals where these teams just met. It feels like years ago, but they just met recently on Thursday night. And that, I thought, was one of the best games we've seen from Phillip Rivers and the Colts. And it, we were waiting for that game. There was also a lot of weird... Tennessee was annoyed, I would imagine, with the way that thing went down. There was a lot of weird special team stuff going on. They had Trevor Daniel, like a third-string punter, um, creating a lot of chaos. Uh, you got the bad version of Steven Guskowski on a huge field goal. So I, I, I kind of throw that game out to some degree. Um, but I don't throw out the fact that DeForest Buckner is on the COVID list for the Colts. I think that's a huge loss. Um, I've said it before. This is my favorite defense to watch. But they're both very Mm. resilient teams. The Colts coming back from a 14-point deficit uh, to beat the Packers. That's the kind of game that made me think, you beat the Titans and you go and beat the Packers. I start to believe in you a lot, a lot more than I did a month ago in this Indianapolis Colts team. But Tennessee, they were 11 down to Baltimore and fought their way back in one of the tougher showings and a game that left us just riddled with questions about the Ravens in general pre this week's chaos. So, guys, I don't know really what's going to happen in this one, but I know I like it. You don't know what's going to happen? I thought well, I mean, everyone I knew. Like, if I knew, I would, you know, there would be things I would do about that, but I can't. You well, know, I, I, can't, I so. would. I'll tell you what's going to happen. The Colts are going to beat the Titans again. Uh, they're going to beat oh. them twice in three games. They're going to have beaten the Packers. Listen to the confidence. Philip, 
All the little Philip Rivers honkers like uh, Dan out there who is waiting for another old quarterback to hit the skids, they're going to have to admit this Colts team is a little dangerous because I think they're more complete. This Titans defense, I know they survived against Baltimore. They lost their linebacker, Jayon Brown, for the season. I thought that was a big loss. He's one of the few good defensive players they have. Jadevian Clowney has been out. So I really think if Philip Rivers has time to throw the ball, <laughs> even though there's some tight windows there, Dan, he's been playing well. And the running game has been there the last last two weeks you give philip rivers some protection a running game and he is just fine <laughs> you know greg you're, you're funny um you know i've been doing this podcast with you for a long time and you know if there's one thing i know if there's two things i know about this podcast it and it ties directly into the 2004 draft class greg hated eli manning for reasons that obvious and not obvious and because he's overrated and he was never a top 10 quarterback like one season see while Philip Rivers was doing it every season. See how those Super Bowls still hurt Greg the Patriots fan. <laughs> and the other one is Greg will always have faith in Philip Rivers and will go down with the ship every year, no matter what. And you are right, Greg. He is playing very well and mistake free. But I, I have to I have to tell you, Greg, it's going to happen again. It's, he's going to kill you again at some point. Uh, just when you believe in him, and it's going to cost the Colts perhaps their season. That's that's my general feeling on it. I will say this. Getting the running game going is huge because it does give them the balance that they need because they can't lean on Philip Rivers because that will expedite whatever happens, whatever Greek tragedy befalls them at quarterback at some point this season. But if you could balance this offense with that defense, I think they are a better all-around team than Tennessee, and I think they're in a good spot at home. But I wouldn't say it's like a slam-dunk win for the Colts. I, Mark, I, I feel would like not these are say pretty a close. slam-dunk at all. I think they're fairly love- closely matched teams. Oh, yeah, of course. And DeForest Buckner, as Mark mentioned, is is a massive loss for the Titans. But I just think the Titans each week now, because their offensive line isn't playing well, is really counting on Tannehill and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry to do special things by themselves, which they can. Like, they're capable of it. But I'm a little worried about Tannehill. Man, he takes a ton of hits each and every week and at some point that I I'm not I don't would never want to predict like something going wrong this guy seems un- indestructible but you can only take so many big hits so he's got to be worried about that today they did not protect him well in this matchup a few weeks ago I would say that's oh sometimes it's okay though if you're like look at we have these three guys um it's gonna it's November we're into December we have these three guys that we rely on and yet every week they get it done I mean like the way it happened against the Ravens last week they broke Baltimore, and I think they can break other teams too. And I, they've been through a lot this season. Some of it's on them, some of it's not. But the Titans are very resilient, and I, I, I am just simply am a little bit surprised at your confidence that the Colts would walk in here and and make mincemeat of them. I, I don't mean, know if I buy that. What do we see I don't know about mincemeat? I'm what do we see last basically. week? And re- out of respect for the the Titans, what did we see last week? I know you could say, look at the tape and all oh, the Ravens outplayed them, blah blah blah, but. They stole that game away. They won that game. That's your team, Greg. That's another one of your the Greg tropes. You love the Ravens, and you will defend them to the end. You go down to Baltimore, you take care of business there, and that, that's what this team is. They're a team that they got they got beat, obviously, in the first time we saw this matchup with a special teams total meltdown. Um, so I, I don't I don't foresee that happening again. And with Philip Rivers, yeah, I think he's taken a lot of hits, uh, but also. You know, this has been a tough uh, little run for them schedule-wise against defenses. Chicago, Indianapolis, Baltimore, now Indianapolis again. I think Tannehill's mm-hmm. been playing okay. I think he's been uh, good overall. He's just His numbers aren't as great as they were about the month or six weeks prior to that. So I feel good about Tannehill. I like the Titans. Uh, I think the Colts are my pick here, but I think it's a field goal game. 
fair. They're mentally tough, these Titans. They, they are in some very. Games. They are. <clears throat> yep. Okay. Up next, Greg, I know it hurt you when I took a game that had Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Tony Romo in the booth. That had to hurt, but you got to recover. You got to regroup and pick third. It's a lot of it's not right. Greg I'm scrambling on this today. By the way, I know I'm like I'm uh, <laughs> I'm like the Giants right now after the Chargers took Eli Manning. I'm just going to give you whatever you want in a trade after the show. But for now, <laughs> I'm going to take uh, the Chargers heading to Buffalo. This is a really fun game because. Justin Herbert is the most watchable young quarterback I've ever seen, having one of the best rookie seasons I've ever seen out of a quarterback, playing the a Buffalo Bills defense, coming off a bye, and making me wonder, are they ever really going to get it together mm. this season? Is Sean McDermott ever going to come up with some solutions this season where they're not average? Or are they going to have to rely on Josh Allen to win in shootouts week after week? It's a lot to ask. Maybe Josh Allen can keep doing it. He's not going to have John Brown this week, and that has hurt them when they have not had Smokey out there. They have not quite been the same. And the Chargers and Herbert get some players back. We might see Austin Eckler on the field. Uh, I think we're going to see Chris Harris, uh, their great cornerback, back after more than a month. Uh, Their offensive line is getting a little healthier. So the Chargers are that berserker team, Mark, down the stretch to me that I don't think anyone would want to face. You're so right about John Brown. The the metrics show that Josh Allen just doesn't have the same numbers with Adams, so that's a loss. And can anyone make life difficult for Justin Herbert out of the gate? I mean, he's absolutely on. And I know, I know it was the Jets last week, but the Jets are not, you know, they can do a few things well, and what they can't do is stop Justin Herbert. No one else can do it either. And, you know, a year in years past, I'd say Sean McDermott and the Bills are the team that can do that. Um, not this year. There's no, there's no suggestion of it. And I, Austin Eckler coming back, um, they've missed that running back that they can count on. He can do everything. He can catch passes out of the backfield. I mean, he comes back to a Chargers offense that is so vastly different than the one that he had been in in years past. I mean, it's just completely it's completely remade. Um, it's the most watchable attack I think in the, around the it's top three for me. You said it about Ooh. Justin Herbert. So this is a this is a rough game for the Bills. Uh, I, anyone that can take out. Anyone that could slow down Justin Herbert at this point wins me over. Um, I'm not convinced it's Buffalo, Dan. Well, we saw we saw the Dolphins slow down Justin Herbert two weeks ago. So th- there, maybe that's the Bills. They can sc- study that tape and see if there's something to take out of that. Um, I I'll put it this way. Well, let me start here. I want to start and give the wide receivers, uh, star wide receivers on this team, some love. Stephon Diggs has been everything the Bills could have asked for. Uh, and then some. Uh, that was such a great trade in retrospect. And it wasn't, it didn't seem like a slam dunk to me at the time. They gave up a first round pick to get him from Minnesota. And he has come in there and become the guy, a true number one receiver. And then on, on the other team, Keenan Allen coming off a 16 catch day, I believe it was against the Jets. Uh, I think he's the most underrated receiver of the past 10 years. I think he's at that level, uh, the type of guy that does it week in and week out, year after year. And don't don't sleep on that as being a major reason why Justin Herbert's been so good. And now let me lead into my second part here. And I'll tee – let me tee Mark up on this because I'm pretty sure I know Greg's answer. Um, Mark, who would you rather have for the next 10 years, Josh Allen or Justin Herbert? It's easy for me. It's mm. it's Justin Herbert. I, I would take Justin Herbert over any quarterback in the league outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes right now. And I, I mean, maybe you gave confidence. him a maybe with Mahomes. Come on. Taysom Hill? 
I'm just saying Mahomes gets it definitely, but uh, yeah, Herbert. I, I said Herbert outside of outside of Mahomes, but I mean, like I, I'm I'm not seeing any bad tape on Justin Herbert, and you know maybe you wonder what will happen in year two when people have a chance to you know dissect him more, but. It's not just about scheme. I just think this guy can do it all. And and like, you know, every once in a while a player comes along and you're just you're watching him and you're saying, "Bingo, the Chargers are never going to be the same because of this." Well, Allen still has some limitations. I I totally support the fact that he's made the leap and then some. He's been a top 6 quarterback, I would say this year, 6 or 7. I think the one thing he still needs to improve on in year 3 is decision making. And he gives the other team a chance a few times a game. He's had eight interceptions over the last six weeks. I, and I think he can keep getting better because his decision-making's absolutely gotten better. His accuracy is through the roof compared to wh- where it was. But I do think kind of when you play the Bills, it comes down to can you make Josh Allen make a few bad decisions? He's going to give you a chance. He's going to make a ton of amazing plays too. But he's going to give the defense a chance to make a couple plays. I think that's the way the Chargers try to win this game. I mean, to Dan's point, though, like the, the touchdown to Diggs, would have been the incredible story for the Bills coming out of that game. You got bit by a Kyler Murray, Hail Mary, and, it, and when that happens, you forget everything that happened a, before. But he threw a pick right before that. He threw a couple picks in that game. That's I what know, I mean. Greg, it's, you're being very negative. A, I'm trying to be I'm saying it's a little here, bit so. of both. I, I'm saying, like, you would, you forgot the pick he threw right before that, and the Cardinals couldn't get it. I, I just did not mention it. I, did not I just want to it. note for uh, the listening audience that uh, Mark wagged his finger at Greg and said well, you're being you had, very you know, negative. I, Dan, I, th- I felt like you were doing that verbally, and I just had to do it you know, with my All right. finger. Okay, good stuff. All right, Greg, that's a good game. I like that one. And anybody, anybody got the Chargers winning? I do. Uh, no, I, I mean, in a you know, just up in the sky. I, didn't, I haven't logged it anywhere officially, but there you go. I do have them keeping it close on uh, NFLGamePicks.com. There you go. There you go. That's the website. Okay, good. All right, Greg, you are up on the snake. All right, I'm going to take Broncos Saints in the late afternoon window. Who would have thought Taysom mm. Hill would come into the lineup and would be almost under the radar because no one's going to be watching this game in the late afternoon. I don't feel like his first start uh, got a little pop, and I feel like he's making everyone a little crazy. I mean, he's made this show He's made everyone crazy, but there's so many people that came into the game with the agenda that they weren't really buying it. And I would say I want needed to see something first before uh, I believed anything. But I don't get watching that first game and coming away thinking it was a fluke or thinking that this, this isn't going to last or that the Saints are in trouble. We It's only one game, but that game was encouraging. If any other quarterback had that game, you would say, okay, let's fly with this. Because Taysom Hill's not taking over. Uh, some garbage team at three and seven. He's taken over a team that's in the top five in DVOA and defense, is in the top five in DVOA and special teams, and has an incredible running game of which he's only going to add to. So he doesn't need to be a top 10 quarterback. He needs to make a few throws. He did that a few times under pressure in the pocket. That's all I needed to see. They look like a very good team, maybe one of the best teams in the league, whether Taysom Hill is that quarterback or whether Drew Brees is that quarterback. That's they actually... They improved on offense, DVOA-wise. Greg, I know that you would appreciate that. Um, they went up a spot after the Hills start. So I'm not, you know, uh, well, I'm just going to say that. How that, that dare happened. you use DVOA on me, Mark? That is <laughs> well, nice listen, that. I, know, I know how to speak your language. But, um, More I, like DVOA. I, I, I'm with you that it's Taysom Hill, and, like, they kind, of, they kind of had him do things they think he can do. So where's the aberration? Why couldn't he do those same things 
uh, you know, this week and against the Broncos defense that played really well against Miami, though. And I, that was kind of the Broncos performance I was waiting for. Um, they destroyed the Dolphins on the ground. They're not going to be able to do that against the Saints. A Saints uh, right. team that sacked Matt Ryan eight times. A Saints defense that is Super Bowl worthy right now. So I'm not expecting that Broncos offense to show up, but I don't see what changes for the Saints to, too much in this from an offensive angle. Well, I, we're going to find out. And we saw what what they did to Tua last week. This Denver defense plays hard for Vic Fangio. They've overcome injuries. And the thing with Taysom Hill, and I get it, that's part of this job on, on some level. And uh, you want to be ahead of the curve when it comes to judging young quarterbacks. You don't want to be behind it. But I, I need to see more from Taysom Hill to see if this is going to work. And I, I thought he did nice things. Um, against the Falcons, but it was against the Falcons and it wasn't a kind of a perfect setup uh, for him to get his feet wet. Now, now this is a nice test here. You go on the road, you go to Denver against the defense that just made a, a young quarterback look silly. And even though Taysom Hill, I believe, is near 30 years old, as a quarterback, he's a baby because this is his second start. He's barely thrown passes in the league before last week. So this is an interesting game for me. I... I guess you could say I'll be a believer if he delivers a similar similar performance mm. uh, this week. This would do it, but I just this I would can't do it for you. I can't go off one game and be like, oh, Saints are all set. No, I'm with you. I'm I also with saw you. some things like how Alvin Kamara wasn't part of the passing game, how he can't throw a deep ball, how they played from ahead. What happens if they're from behind? Is he the same type of guy using his legs to get you back in the game? I feel like that presents some limitations for their offense, potentially. We need more time to really figure out if this is going to work. Here's the thing, though. I don't know if this game is going to tell you much because I think like most weeks, Taysom Hill is going to be part of a great team. And that's more what I'm buying into, that like he can be part of of a Super Bowl contending team while he's the starter. I don't think he's going to have to do much. The Denver defense can't stop the run. The Saints have a dynamic running game, especially with him. And I don't know if Drew Locke is going to be able to survive with no running game behind him. So it's like Taysom Hill might not even need to do much, and they could win this game by three scores, and it could be another week where we're just like, okay, Taysom Hill was fine. That's all they need for him to be like his own version of Teddy Bridgewater from 2019. Yeah, I mean, Sean Payton being undefeated with backups over the last two seasons has a lot to do with Sean Payton. He's a great coach. He's a great coach. One last thing to note, Alvin Kamara has some type of foot issue. Uh, They cut down on his snaps last week. I think it's just something to watch because we could talk about the quarterback all day, but Alvin Kamara, the offense runs through him. We'll see what kind of workload he has on Sunday. Time now for Road to Victory presented by the United States Marine Corps. All right, let's get into it. We're going to do a primetime game here. Chicago Bears at Green Bay Packers. Uh, Mark, I know you're very excited at the prospect of another Bears primetime game, as is the rest of America. But look at the look at the plus side. I think everyone's a little bit bummed out having to watch Nick Foles, and it is trending toward a new quarterback behind center in Chicago. Unfortunately, it's Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, let's you know play the hits when you can, and let's bring Mitch back into the offense to um, revive some of the heroics that he unspooled in years of old. Um, I don't know. I, you know, it becomes a bit, um, it becomes just sort of a tired exercise to take down. That's the your second offense. of old reference today. I think you said weeks of old earlier in the show. I am, now it's years of old. I am just surviving today. That's what I'm, I'm in survival <laughs> mode. Look at the, the bears are 32nd in rushing. 
They're 32nd on third down. They're 31st in the red zone. Everything that Nick Foles was supposed to come in and do, um, he didn't do. He didn't, didn't stabilize work. that offense at all. So, you know, why not get another look at Mitch Trubisky? I don't know what it means for the future because if he has, I mean, the most there is thing ever. That's what it means. Would, right. I mean, what if he had like four or five games and then he looked good and then they, they re-sign him to a con- Forget all that business. None of that's happening. I don't so think that's if, happening. Yeah. It's not. None of that's happening. They declined the option. Re- so he's, he's He's essentially a lame duck first round pick. Right. If someone had declined, you know, an option on me, I would not be feeling too great about anything. So I, I, I think that, you know, Mitch probably knows the future. Green Bay, you know, you come, you're coming off a really rough, a really rough defeat. You've got to find a way to just come in and take care of business. And I think they can. You, you've got Jalen Johnson on Devontae Adams, probably in a big part of this game, rookie cornerback for the Bears. He's played all right, but Devontae Adams is playing at a different level. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more from Aaron Jones, who hasn't crossed 75 yards on the ground since week two. I mean, no, he was injured for a bit, but give him the ball nice more. Little, that would help. Well, right. A little nice little X fact would be a strong run game down the stretch here. You know, I, this is a tough matchup for them, though. It, even though I fully expect the Packers to win, and it'll take uh, Mitchell Trubisky playing a lot better for it to be close. I, I do think this is a good test for the Packers' offense, which is one of the best in the league, but they're going up against a Bears team, which I would say has a better defense this year than they did a year ago. I would put them in the top four, I would say, defenses this year. And they shut down Aaron Rodgers two different times a year ago. And I know the Packers' offense is better too, but Roquan Smith is is making that leap as a middle linebacker. He's kind of been a running back killer. And so he's a guy who can go around with Aaron Jones, whether in the passing game or on the ground, give them problems. The Bears' defense is very sound, doesn't give up a lot of big plays. So it's a nice test for the Packers when they have the ball. I don't necessarily think Rodgers you know, goes up and down the field. We just don't see it in this matchup that often. Yeah, it sets up well for the Packers for sure. Uh, they're playing at home. You have Mitch Trubisky in the lineup. And I, at the same time, I was really, you know, that loss against the Colts in week 11, it does instill a little bit of doubt around the Packers for me. I, I had a little bit going into the game uh, that they were a good team, but just a tier below. And then when you blow a two touchdown lead at halftime and you score three points in, in the second half and overtime uh, total, it's like, uh, what's going on? But I guess you could write it off as a blip on the radar. They were great in the first half against the Colts. And it comes down to this. Mike Pettin's defense is very up and down, as we know. Uh, and he has been a polarizing figure, um, maybe more of a lightning rod. He seems to be not particularly well-liked as a D.C. by Green Bay fans. Well, don't don't let Mitch Trubisky get hot here. Don't, don't let this turn into some type of like kind of situation where this time next week everyone's talking about how the Packers defense is a mess and it's going to kill their chances take care of business here this should be a Packers win and if it's not yes major issues in Green Bay avoid Mm. the ponderous narrative that's always a a way to go uh, for any football team so I'm with you Dan these Bears, this Bears offense is a slump buster. You got a bad defense, you show up and play the Bears, suddenly your ranking like skyrockets the next week. It's beautiful. I mean, you did get me thinking now, Mark. Well, just like as a fun thought exercise, what if Mitch Trubisky returns and he's Patrick Mahomes? Uh, you know, what What would it take for the Bears to bring back Mitch Trubisky? Would it, would it be Mahomesian play for the six weeks? 
I mean, then then you have Matt Nagy telling you all off season, we believe in Mitch Trubisky. Um, you know, we're going to build an offense around him. It's just like the wheel just keeps going. I want the wheel to come off the vehicle, roll off into a field, and we build a new car. It's just time Here, to start from scratch, please. Excuse me, sorry. I think it, it would take him saving their jobs. I think they're all together. Nagy. Uh, Ryan Pace, the GM, and Trubisky. They're all in the same car right now. It's up to Mitch to drive them to safety. <laughs> that That is highly frightening. And we talked about it on the podcast uh, this week. We went through the our hot-butt rankings of head coaches facing danger entering the last six weeks. I put Nagy at a 50-50 chance of survival here. Well, getting a big win uh, at Lambeau, that would help his case, I would imagine. Uh, mighty fine. That was... Road to Victory, presented by the United States Marine Corps. Uh, all right, Mark, it is on to you in the draft. All right, well, I'm going to go San Francisco at the Los Angeles Rams. You know, I know on our, our previous podcast, Dan, we forked San Francisco, and so I— Weeks ago, um, even. Weeks ago. I mean, a long time ago. Weeks and gone I, by. What was it? Wait, weeks of old is when we did days that. Days of old. That's <laughs> when we forked them. Um, but they're getting healthier. And so, you know, forget what we did to them. What can they do to a Rams team that they beat about a month ago? Debo Samuel back at practice. Uh, Raheem Mostert is practicing. I think that is a huge difference maker right there. I am a way into Raheem Mostert as a starting running back who can pummel teams. And they've missed that element. They seem to have like 82 running backs on that roster. There's always someone that they plug in. But that helps a lot. Richard Sherman is practicing. So this team that has been as banged up um, and, you know, corona-addled as, as any team in the league um, up until a couple weeks ago um, is getting healthier. I always trust Kyle Shanahan to scheme up well against division opponents. But I really love that the way that the Rams, in general, outside of a couple games, have protected Goff, only 13 sacks allowed all year, while they are punishing quarterbacks with 34. So you don't have Garoppolo in there. You've got Nick Mullins, and there's still a lot of issues with San Francisco. So the Rams, after surging the way they have, and they've won me over to some degree over the last couple of weeks, um, this is kind of reminds me of Green Bay Chicago. Go in and take care of business against a team that's not entirely 100%. You can't get swept by the 49ers. Not this year. I mean, no. it's a big game. And But I do think this is one where the old cliche, throw out the records when Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan face off. It, it's true. If you look at these two teams when they've played with these two head coaches, whichever team is much better, which has been the Rams most of the time, uh, it hasn't mattered. The games have come down to the last possession. And the result earlier this year, as you mentioned, Dan, uh, Mark kind of points to that. The 49ers dominated that game. They're getting much healthier. I think these two coaches understand each other so well that they know what they can do to stop one another. And the 49ers are competitive. I've really been impressed with their defense. Robert Sala, who got a lot of love last year, maybe should get even more this year because they're so banged up and yet they're highly competitive. I just don't expect this is going to be easy for the Rams. A big challenge for Robert Sala. Sala is Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. I mean, that was an unbelievable show they put on on Monday night. I believe they combined for 25 catches, 1,000 catches. It was something in that range. Uh, so you have that element of the offense. That's the one thing I'm waiting to see with with, with Los Angeles now. Uh, we know the defense is elite. I think it's in the top three. I think it's it's certainly there with Pittsburgh and New Orleans for me. Can the offense take that next leap uh, and become mm. – uh, okay to good because if you got a good offense 
and an outstanding defense. Now we're cooking. So um, I, I want to see how they bounce back. Jared Goff, I think we have uh, similar viewpoints on him, that he's an up-and-down passer. But if, if, if Sean McVay has a chance to improve this offense down the stretch, that's going to make them, to me, to take that step and actually be a true NFC Super Bowl contender. I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but I think there's room for growth just because I believe in the coaching that much. I share your view. I don't like the idea of Andrew Whitworth uh, not being on the line at left tackle right now. That's a big loss. They've done a pretty good job with the same cast of characters they had mostly a year ago, but that's a, that's a huge loss in a, in a veteran presence. When you lo- lose those veteran guys off the offensive line, I think it diminishes communication um, and other, and other uh, you know, things that keep the things running smoothly. So if you're Goff, like, that consistency factor is going to be challenged by that. But I'm with you, Dan. If they can do what they did last week, um, they essentially be unstoppable. It's just not – you can't count on that week-to-week in the passing game. Got to have a running game. Both of these teams are kind of old school, even though they're you know led by coaches who are thought to be as cutting edge as anyone. They are the most uh, run-dependent teams I can think of in terms of great offenses. And the 49ers getting Moster and possibly Debo Samuel, who's huge in the running game too as a blocker and as a runner, like makes all the difference. I don't trust either of these teams when they're not running. And so that that's something to watch. This is a good stat from Next Gen Stats about Andrew Whitworth, their veteran left tackle who's out potentially for the year. Uh, time to throw with Whitworth on the field, 2.75 seconds for Goff. Without him, 2.55. Air yards per attempt, 7.1 with Whitworth, 5.8 without. His completion percentage, uh, expected completion percentage slightly up. But yeah, he's he's a huge piece of this and they survived without him uh, last week. But we'll see uh, what happens against, as Greg said, a bit of a frisky Niners defense. All right, let's move on. The old Zeusers up in the draft, and I'm going to go and time. get. I'm going to go and get the Jets. I'm going to get the Jets against the Dolphins. Uh, and obviously, I I started by saying the Jets, but really, this game is about the Dolphins and about what happens at quarterback after Tua Tungavailoa was benched. Uh, Really, in a, a surprise benching, one of those one of those moves that if you have your Twitter open or your tweet deck open on a Sunday, all of a sudden you just see, wow, oh wow, <laughs> whoa, and you're like, what is this? And you click in, and sure enough, there it is. Ryan Fitzpatrick had replaced Tua uh, early in the fourth quarter against Denver, and he damn near saved him, uh, if not for an interception in the end zone by Justin Simmons. So I. I I think we, you know, we discussed this on last Sunday's show. We don't have to relitigate whether or not Brian Flores uh, did his quarterback dirty um, by benching him and what it means for the future. I will say this, though. There may be a method to the madness here that Flores caught in between a little bit last week in Denver on a five-game winning streak. He said, wait, maybe I could try to steal this game and still develop my rookie quarterback in that open Pandora's box a little bit. But at the same time, he had to know I have the Jets. Uh, in week 12, even if Fitzpatrick saves the day and everyone's talking about Fitz magic, I put the kid back in against an, a horrific Jets secondary and we should be able to get things back on track. I think that's where this ultimately ends up, Greg. I think this ends up with Tua plays well against the Jets and by Sunday night, no one's talking about what happened in Denver anymore. Yeah, I mean, to quote, you know, the great Jets coach, Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. I mean, that's what Brian Flores is trying to do. He's trying to make the playoffs. He's trying to develop Tua. Wasn't happening that game. This is a team that needs to play with the lead. The Jets are a team that is pretty used to playing from behind. The Dolphins... 
they they want to get ahead of the down and distance, and and you can usually do that against the Jets, and that keeps Tua in comfortable situations. He was lost last week, Tua, and he his deep ball. I do worry about his health right now. He ha- he's been on the injury report with uh, a foot injury. Uh, he's taken some hits, and that's why you got to keep an eye on Ryan Fitzpatrick. But he's not the only young quarterback in this game. We're getting Sammy D back. That's Sam Darnold in a tough matchup Sammy for him. I like that. Are we, is that have we done that? I don't know. I don't That's know. a tough. No, that's, if the I Dolphins mean, get ahead, uh, this is the team that shut out Joe Flacco. So we don't need to see Joe Flacco against the Dolphins anymore. Let's see what Darnold can do. I don't need I mean, to see too. Joe Flacco ever again. I'm all set on that front. Even though he's done a little bit this year. Yeah, I've had my fill of Joe Flacco too. Not, not. I'm sure he's a nice person to speak with. Um, you know, in a coffee shop. Or Maybe a little dry. Of, Maybe not a great coffee shop guy, actually. Maybe a nice that's, guy. That's, that's but, totally you know. possible too. I'm just I'm siding with the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. But I mean, Tua's first 26 passes accounted for 50 yards. So this is not what we're talking about when we talk about like Justin Herbert, where like the production is out of control. And so you know, I I, I do give media in general some credit. Um, I don't think the place <laughs> set on fire and like created a big firestorm controversy. I think we kind of get what the Dolphins were trying to do there. Um, I'm as fascinated though with what Sam Darnold does. Um, from now to the end of the year, because he, if he were to play lights out, he could essentially wipe out what seems to be the plan everyone's accepted in New York. And, uh, you know, I just wonder what's going through his head because people have already moved on to some degree. And, you know, that's what happens to bad teams, you know, surging toward the first overall pick. But, you know, Sam Dartle may say, hold on a minute. I want to change the narrative here and I want to stay here and be your quarterback. Or maybe he'll be thinking, I could be. You know, the Bears quarterback a year from now with a whole new coaching staff. Ooh, lucky so, him. Know, I'd, love to, I'd love to Q&A him. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, listen, I, as a Jets fan, I could tell you that Jets fans have moved on. And they're looking ahead and they want to just reboot the whole machine, keep Joe Douglas and a couple of these pieces they have on the roster right now uh, but and start over. But there is no animosity uh, toward Darnold. And it, it's just a kind of a weird situation. I would love to see him. Go somewhere, man, go to San Francisco and push Jimmy G next year or something. I would love to see him in a, in a healthy, uh, functional setup. I don't know if anything, I think the best way, this is how it would work out for the Jets in a best case scenario. They went, they lose a bunch of games 38, 35. Uh, they go one and 15 or 0 and 16, get the first overall pick, uh, draft the kid out of college and then, you because Darnold plays great down the stretch, you can move him for a late first round pick uh, or you know an early second. You like Maybe that even is higher. That is that is the the best case scenario for the Jets. So it's you're in this weird kind of world where this guy that was your great hope, uh, Sam Darnold, is a guy that you're already disconnecting from. But you're right, Mark. There is also this world where he lights it up and they win three games and. Maybe the organization says we're going to keep him and use all these other pieces to build around him the right way. Uh, I look forward to watching these last six games for that reason. Go win a ball game. I mean, Frank Gore said uh, the entire team is thinking about going 0-16 every day. These These are humans here who do not want to go down in infamy. They do not want to be part of Greg Williams' second 0-16 uh, in the last four years. This is a <laughs> potentially winnable game, and it's miserable it to be winless. So go win a ball game, Sam That's, Darnold. I'm all about don't win too many, though. No, win a game. Go win a ball game. A game, yeah. All right. Let's keep moving here. Snakes to the old zoo, sir. The old snake. Always a you know, the tough old snake, sir. 
Big, uh, big decisions to be made. All right, let me go with Carolina at Minnesota uh, as my uh, third game on the schedule. I mean, it's the two, the team of Zeus TL. Uh, easy for me to say. The Vikings coming off a really disappointing loss, obviously against the Cowboys. That actually looks worse now after what we saw from the Cowboys on Thursday um, against uh, Washington. Uh, however, I knew there would be a speed bump at some point for the Vikings. I didn't think they were going to win out, and there it was. So now, if you still are a team that's going to be relevant come Week 16 and Week 17, which I think the Vikings are, you're going to take care of business here at home against the Panthers. And um, so that's where I stand on the Vikings. I don't want to... I'm not deflating all the air out of their balloon after what happened last week. The Panthers, of course... Uh, represent a um, difficult challenge because they're well coached and they hang around in almost every game they play. Uh, where are we at with injuries? Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I know, has been in the mix this week at practice, I believe. Uh, we're, Teddy Bridgewater, I think we're getting him back too, right, Greg? Yeah, we are. He He's not even on the injury report, Teddy, that is, so he's starting. Russell Okung, their left tackle, who's been out for a while, uh, is questionable and has a chance to return. And McCaffrey has been limited in practice this week, throughout the week, and I think there's some optimism here. And I don't know, Dan, this is the team of Zeus TL versus the team of Cess TL. It's really a battle uh, for the hearts and minds of uh, you two gentlemen, and what a coaching job Matt Rule has done. I think they're very even teams. I don't think this I is... I thought the Dolphins were the team of Cess I don't know. Well, I've got a number of them. You, you know, got to pick one. You got to ride or die with one because you got the Browns also. I mean, how many teams do you have, Mark? Exactly? I mean, wait. No, suddenly, no, yeah, there there are no rules here. We we know that <laughs> everyone does this, does as they please. I've always said the Panthers. To me, it's not a this year team, but I'm really impressed with the way they're coached. And the only thing, I, the one thing that changed for me a little bit in the, against the Lions, and they were playing the Lions, but they shut them out. Um, they tackled well for the first time. The Panthers. Uh, really, all, they've not been a good tackling team on defense. They got five sacks, so I think they present some threat to the Vikings. The Vikings probably would not have lost that Cowboys game without those two killer fumbles. It was the strip sack of Kirk Cousins and the Dalvin Cook fumble. Cousins played really well in that game, and I thought he was in pretty good control. So, uh, you know, that was a rugged loss. Um, you know, you, they can't make mistakes. Neither one of these teams can make a bunch of mistakes and hope to win. So I, I think it's a fascinating game. Um, I think it's pretty inter- interesting how the Carolina coached up P.J. Walker last week. Other teams struggled to even get their starters to play well. So that, that was notable to me. They, they they're very similar teams. They both struggled to close. If you look at all their you know metrics in terms of offense, defense, they're they're pretty similar. The Vikings' offense has more juice. I mean, Kyle Kirk Cousins. Remember when we were saying he was on pace to have Jameis Winston season? Since that moment, uh, he is leading the league in yards per attempt. He, and I think he has like nine or ten touchdowns and one interception since that moment too. So he's he's playing great. But these teams are both like they find ways to blow games. And uh, the Vikings, to me, are too run-heavy. Dalvin Cook has more than 25 more carries than anyone else in the league over the last four weeks. It's like 30 a week, and they always set up Kirk to be thrown in third and seven, and he's been coming through lately. I don't like that approach. I like the the pass-first approach by the Panthers against a bad Vikings defense. All right. I mean, I guess I could see your point. You want a little bit more balance. This is still in terms of uh, total offense, a top-ten offense, the Vikings this year and Dalvin Cook is their best player so I understand their temptation to just get the ball in his hands as many times as possible and you have to say Greg even if it feels like he's they're giving him too much work 
Kirk Cousins' revival is directly tied to the fact that this these teams, these defenses, fear Dalvin Cook so much. It's all connected. Sure, but he's like if it, it's only a month. But if you gave him the workload he had the last month for the whole season, he'd have 500 carries. And there's been a lot of studies <laughs> right. when you keep giving when you keep giving guys 30, 27, 30 touches that they break down. So give it, give the ball to Alexander Madison, and hey, give the ball to Justin Jefferson a couple times on first and second down. They, Don't wait until it's third and eight. They were trying to save their season, though, too. And it was like, yeah. do whatever works. And Dalvin Cook was working times 10. So, you know, it's probably not what they game planned uh, back in August, necessarily. Can it we does... fork them, though, if they lose this game, the Vikings? I think yeah. they're done if they lose this game. I would I would certainly, you know, the I would be off the uh, bandwagon for sure if they, if they lose two straight games. And one thing to keep in mind with the Panthers, uh, who... Listen, they're four and seven. We shouldn't act like they're totally out of the hunt if we're saying the Vikings aren't at four and six. Uh, they they have to win out though as well. Uh, it does make you wonder what happens inside that coaching room with Matt Rule, Christian McCaffrey. Like we said, he's inching toward a return. They have a bye week next week though, so it almost yeah. it, it would make sense to give him this this Sunday, and then you get two weeks, and then he's back full bore. But maybe you can't. Ri- you need your best player on the field. Maybe, it's a tough decision. But uh, I think Rule has shown us uh, he's capable of making the right ones so far in his rookie season. All right, Mark, you are up next. All right, well, I'm going to go, uh, you know, Cleveland at Jacksonville. Shouldn't be a stunner to anyone that follows the show. Um, <laughs> I don't know I how many. I, every time you take the Browns, well, there's always that comment. Because Shouldn't it's, it be, you know, I know this is what it. you expect. We get it, buddy. You don't need it. The audience gets it. It's cool. I think it's a fair comment because normally I would steer my eyes away from Mike Lennon, um, who will be starting for Jacksonville. Um, and I know this is this is kind of what I'm what I feel a little bit is with some of the Corona stuff. Like certain teams, um, things catch on fire, and then there's other teams where like there are problems, but it's a little bit overlooked. And I'm not. I get it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. They almost beat the Packers a couple weeks ago. They're not totally defunct. Um, I, I they Cleveland should come in and take care of business, but they have no Miles Garrett. Because of Corona, all right, Porter Gustin, who has been a really like interesting developmental player who's gotten to the quarterback a bunch and was essentially going to replace Miles Garrett in this game to some degree, is out with Corona. Sione, Sione Takitaki, who had the 50-yard... Takitaki! Yep, he had the pick six, and I don't know when he caught Corona, but he caught it too. Jedrick Wills, their left tackle, is home, was homesick this week. Denzel Ward is out with a pretty severe injury uh, that they're that they considered putting him on IR for. This team is has is a three win team without Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett. So I'm just saying that if you want to look at potential trap game worlds, no. I don't love this. I'm not hearing it because the Jaguars, first of all, they're much worse than the Browns if they were healthy, and their situation is so much worse. No team has been devastated more by injuries in the last week alone than the Jaguars. They've lost their best pass rusher, Josh Allen. They've lost their best two cornerbacks, DJ Hayden, um, and who's the other one? Sidney Jones. That's just in the last uh, two weeks. I'm going to add some more. DJ Chark, by far their best wide receiver, out for this game. Andrew Norwell, the best guard, out for this game. Uh, and they showed me a lot when they announced on Wednesday, before they even practiced, that Mike Glennon was starting this game, even though Gardner Minshew has been practicing and throwing the ball. And I, you never want to say a team is uh, showing their cards here, but... You're starting Glennon over a chance that Minshew could be ready. He's been practicing for two weeks now, and you're not playing Gardner. That's Minshew. fair. Smells I mean, it's a little fishy. Clear, you know, it's a different. It's a different type of. It's not a fish tank. It's 
I don't know if you you don't really put jaguars into a tank, but fishy. Well, they have, it's the it's not good chlorine. for your jets. They there, play at the big chlorine tank. Well, I think I don't know with Minshew. He's more popular on this podcast than in other places, and I think maybe uh, that that locker room as well. I don't know. I don't know if the Jaguars love Gardner Minshew uh, as as I mean, much if as anything, maybe people Jake, on the Your boy Jake Luton made him look good though, because Jake Luton was not it, and I just don't think Mike Glennon would be it. But Wait, are you knows? suggesting that like like other players are not fans of Minshew? I've not read yes. anything. I ha- you, you, there are some whispers about his hmm. ability to throw the ball downfield and. And there were some frustrations, I think, coming emanating out of that locker room. But Minshew, I mean, just the st- statistically and all that is superior. I-, I understand where you're coming from and the angle that this could feel like a tank move. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, the ju- this is a big game for the Browns, though. You got to win. No excuses. Doesn't matter who's hurt. Light them up. It's Jacksonville. They've lost nine games in a row. They're they're starting a third or fourth string quarterback. Uh, and then you have after this game, if the Browns take care of business and get to eight and three, and then hypothetically get Miles Garrett back, uh, you have at Tennessee, home Baltimore. You get both New York teams and then Pittsburgh. So it's not a treacherous back half of the schedule, but you want to give yourself a little bit of a cushion there by getting to eight and three. If you can get to eight and three and take care of business here, you have no business missing the playoffs. So right. just win on Sunday. They've been able, they've done that so far this year. Uh, they haven't had that like massive trip up loss yet. And maybe at this point uh, they've earned the benefit. Let's see of an doubt. offensive explosion. Let's see him put up 35 in a good weather game. I think they should. I, I would just say looking for looking forward though, like you can't lose to the Titans Ravens and Steelers and be taken that seriously. You got to win one of those games and show that you made progress. That's for another week. But, um, you know, beating the Jets, Giants and Jaguars to get into the playoffs. I, that's the kind of team I would critique in, in, in other scenarios. Um, but they've taken care of business against bad opponents. That's a good trait. Here's the, and yes, there's weather involved in this and everything, but just looking at their schedule, they had, they put up 37 against Cincinnati in week seven, but uh, starting with weeks, week six outside of that game, seven points in a loss, six points in a loss, 10 points in a win, and they scored 15 point or was it 13 points well, on offense last week, right? Yeah, but that's like saying, why didn't they get like a, a tan and a snowstorm? I mean, they, they were deal, that was like some of the worst weather games I've ever seen, and it impacted, look at the teams they played weren't throwing up 30 points either, so. All right, so let's see 30 points. On Sunday, Cleveland Browns. Up next, Greg Rosenthal. Oh boy, it's time. It's time for me to pick the Bengals and the Giants. Get ready. Okay. The Giants have been um, okay on a on a bye. Um, they've been had a very eventful bye, and we haven't talked about it much on this podcast just because of, of the timing. Um, but, you know, they fired uh, their offensive line coach after he got into some sort of problem uh, with the head coach. Didn't like that they were bringing in uh, Very naughty words. Yeah. Very I mean, naughty uh, word was used. Used the word. Uh, Ian Ra- it, Kim Jones didn't say the word, but said it was one of the worst words you could think of. And then I guessed it to uh, our guy Ian Rapport. He said that guess was right. So I mean, listeners- there's only I mean, there's only like one word that's referred to that way. Hmm. So I don't think it, I don't think it was like necessarily well, Sherlock Holmes. Terrible. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to let the. the I was just going to say, like, know. ultimately, if if Colombo and the coaching staff was the runt of the litter, you got to get rid of them. It's fair. It's a fair they, point, and they've done that. And that that's a big runt of the litter, six foot eight guy. Uh, he played in the <laughs> NFL, so good for Joe Judge for sticking up uh, for himself a huge, there. No, never mind. 
I I think one overlooked thing about this Giants team, and I, and they've been playing better all year, is they are a power running team, and Daniel Jones is now a bigger part of that running attack each and every week. And I think that's important. Like they need to focus on their strength. They can block for running pretty well. They and they Wayne Gallman's running hard. They're like reviving Alf Morris. And once you add Daniel Jones to the mix, they're a little bit dangerous running on the ground. And that's kind of all they should need this week against a Bengals team that is now starting Brandon Allen. I think that gives the Bengals a little better chance in this game. Ryan Finley was such a dud, and we've seen Brandon Allen play a few times and look like like an NFL backup that helps them. Uh, but either way, it's a tough call. I mean, the Bengals on defense have given up an AFC-high 39 completions of 20-plus yards. So if there was a game where you could get a little bit going through the air for Daniel Jones, two straight appearances— Without um, a turnover, I think that's a, a fair thing to credit him for after that being the number one knock on him. Uh, the defense, you know, last time we saw them they, when they played the Eagles, they held them to 0 for 9 on third downs, which is the first time that happened in Philadelphia since 2004. Now, that is not a juggernaut you faced, I get it, but this is a pretty well-coached Giants team, and I think that Wayne Gallman is someone you could point to that was sort of just floating in the abyss under previous staffs. I um, mean, you had Saquon too, but Saquon's been in and out of the lineup. And they get these guys to play pretty well. So I I, I look at the Bengals as a pretty spiritually broken team mm. right now. You've lost the the one glowing light um, that gave fans and everyone, I think, on the roster um, hope. He was your rookie quarterback who was anointed captain with no preseason, no, tra- no essentially no offseason. So... I don't know if Brandon Allen is going to necessarily um, inspire the group. Uh, they, they just hope to hang on. But Zach, Zach Taylor is fighting for his job. I mean, the Bengals, even before Joe Burrow went out, had 46 big plays, which I think is – I think that stat is uh, plays of 20 yards or over, which was 30th in the NFL. So um, even with Joe Burrow, this team was not, you know, the type of offense that was going to gas you. And that – and now you um, take Burrow out of the mix and you put in Brandon Graham. Brandon, Brandon Allen. Allen. Bra- bigger, Brandon much Allen. Bigger, bigger arm than Joe Burrow. Yeah. Uh, well, so I don't know. I don't have a very good feeling about this, and I think the Giants' defense has made strides. This sets up very well for the Giants, who are, yes, absolutely in the middle of this NFC mm. East race, uh, especially with the Cowboys' loss here. The Cowboys recede into the background again. And Washington, Philly, and the Giants battling it, battling it out. Um, mm. And it sets you know, up so well, Dan. What sets that? up so well this Giants Bengals game? And I yeah. know you're, you're saying you're thinking, oh, he's getting a little excited. No, you wouldn't lock up the Giants who are zero and seven out of the division. They haven't even won a game out of the division all season. Uh, but hey, okay. I think this is a tough looking team. I think they're going to get their first win out of the division all year. I'm locking oh, up the Giants. See, I was wondering why you're talking up Brandon Allen so much, and it was just to justify this lock. No, no, that wasn't that wasn't it. I don't need to justify anything. I'm 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 annoyed that I didn't lock up the Texans. I was debating between Giants and Texans, and uh, I made the wrong choice because I could mm. just be sitting here like just laid back on Sunday and, and feeling fancy. You've had a, you've had a lot of proud moments, Greg, on this show um, personally throughout life. Um, 
this has to be right up there. I mean, locking up yeah. the Giants over a woe-begone um, quarterback-free Bengals team. No, I, it's I tough. Would, you know, I know. I know they're 0-7 um, out of the division. And What is have, this 0-7 out of the division business? Like, we, it's what, like they can only beat a team. You know, so that's you just, like, it, you they're like, trying to you, break new ground. There's a lot of turmoil, but I think they can overcome it. I think they can overcome it on Sunday. Uh, two more comments on the quarterbacks. <laughs> Daniel Jones... Ever since Saquon went out, that's when they decided to let him run more, which seems like it didn't have to be that way, considering he's one of the fastest quarterbacks in the league. But good for, I mean, let's, hey, Jason Garrett. He, he at least was able to adapt and, and add a layer to that offense. And we didn't talk about it, but the Joe Burrow injury, of course, because it's, you know, connected to the Bengals. It was it was not just a simple ACL tear. It was the MCL that went, and other we're told structural damage. So it's gonna his surgery then rehab is gonna push him right up against. Uh, we're hearing the start of the 2021 season. If you recall, Carson Wentz suffered a similar injury uh, a couple of years back, and they held him out until week three, I believe, of the uh, 2019 season, 2018 season. So uh, really tough break. For the kid, hopefully he comes back and he's the same guy he was. All right. Up next, Greg, it's snakes to you, buddy. Well, that's lame. A lot of snaking when you've got three people on the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take the Las Vegas Raiders against uh, who John Gruden calls the best 3-7 and seven team ever, the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, please. Not even sure they How were condescending. the best 3-7 team this year because the Panthers... Uh, we're three and seven, and I—it's I, a toss-up. I uh, only think the Falcons are dangerous when Julio Jones is in the lineup, which seems like an obvious point to make. Um, but he has been so important this season to them. And if you watch that that Saints game, Julio played, uh, but wasn't in the box score too much because he was on the sideline so much. He had a hamstring injury early. They say he's a game time decision. And when you take Julio Jones out, they're they're not dangerous. All they are is Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan and a lousy running game that they won't give up on because that's just sort of their M.O. And I guess Todd Gurley is the new Le'Veon Bell this year. Just run into the line for three yards. It's very hard to watch. Right. And snaps to Brian Hill. Right. And your defense is a little frisky. And if you scheme up some things against bad teams, but it's really not that frisky. It's just better than it was in the first month of the season. So this is a game where I think the Raiders should win. And uh, it's a test for them. They were six and four uh, a year ago at this time. This is a 10 a.m. Pacific time game in a dead dome. Derek Carr talked this week about how he thinks they're so much better than they were when they were six and four a year ago, and when they went ended up going seven and nine, losing five out of six at the end. I totally agree with Derek Carr. I, I think this team is much better than they were a year ago, and, and this is the type of game that that you win. Oh, they're they're a completely improved team, and I you know hats off to Mike Mayock because I think there was fair speculation how that would go. Um, a GM in general pairing with Gruden, um, a media. You know, member becoming a GM. We've seen that happen multiple times now. It was on your radar. Too. I remember that. It was on well, your I radar mean, big time. I think it just was because it wasn't because of, of Mike Mayock. It was just more like I wanted to see how it worked. But he has built, he is in the process of building a really interesting core. I think one area that concerns me is just still like their bottom two in sacks, uh, their bottom six in QB hits. And last week, well, completely unseated. Uh, Atlanta. It was Matt Ryan being destroyed by the Saints defense. So I don't really trust the Raiders defense to be able to impact a game that way. 
But if you're the one difference between last year's six and four and this year's six and four, they face like the third toughest schedule, the Raiders. Yes. And they now have let me the chart here says it is the thirtieth thirtieth easiest um down the stretch. Now I don't care about schedules in April and May, but by now we know who these teams are. So so that matters. And I think that they're set up for a run because we just mentioned like Cleveland, we just mentioned this group of AFC teams that you're going to see a 10-6 and six team not make the playoffs. The Raiders have to find a way for that mm. not to be them. They've got the tiebreaker over Cleveland. That's huge. And if they can coast and start to pile up wins, they're the team that's deserving of an AFC playoff berth compared to you know some of these AFC wildcard teams from old. I think the Raiders could, could take the Chiefs in the playoffs. I think they're the one team that somehow seems to match up really well with the Chiefs. So I'm, not, I'm kind of rooting for them not to fall off the, uh, the grid here. Derek Carr... Faces a Falcons defense that allows 300 yards passing a game, 31st in the league. Um, only Seattle allows more. Somehow Seattle has been allowing, and I know they've been getting better. But so this number is better than it was. Almost 344 yards a game through the air. It's <laughs> crazy, unbelievable. Anyway, but Atlanta's defense over 400 yards a game they're allowing. Uh, that is on pace to be the most allowed in a single season in franchise history. Derek Carr, uh, especially, he's got to be playing with more confidence than he's ever played within his career coming off that Chiefs game where I just thought, you know, and we talked about it on last Sunday night show, thought it was the best quarterback game of the year with Mahomes and Carr. So I think Carr, for all the fun we have with him, is really having a, a great season. And one aspect of the offense that I thought was important to see take off a little bit against the Chiefs was the Darren Waller uh, Derek Carr connection, which has been like sneaky under the radar, not great this year. It had been very low in terms of yards per catch, and it wasn't an explosive element of their offense. He was more a, a chain mover almost, like a Jason Witten type producer. Uh, and maybe not this current Jason Witten, but like four years ago, Jason Witten. So then you finally got to see him going up the seam and ripping off big plays and be, looking like an athletic freak. Uh, on Sunday, that's that's such a Sunday night. That's such a big part of their offense being next level good. So uh, let's see if Waller can continue to stack up. And by uh, the way, the Falcons games. are like one of the worst teams in the league against tight ends. So I think that's that's dead on that you could see him having a big game. Mark, you are up. Well, we're running out of options here. I'm going to go Arizona at New England. Little surprise, this is still hanging around. Minorly spicy. Um, Little bit of news here that Larry Fitzgerald tested positive for Corona and will be out of this game. I just, you know, we can get into that another time, but it just feels like some of the names being impacted by this. That's that's big. I mean, that's not he's not the centerpiece of their offense right now. But Kyler Murray, I think one of the reasons Seattle uh, bested Arizona on Thursday night was that the shoulder injury to Kyler Murray was one that, you know, I think moved him away from running the ball the way he would have, something they could not have defended. So that's, um, you know, he's practicing, but I think that they're, you know, will we get the full version of Kyler Murray? I'm not sure. And if you can take that away, New England, uh, you know, their defense has been pretty bad, but the, the Patriots just are freaky to me. They hang around in games you wouldn't expect. So this is a concerning, uh, concerning one for the Cardinals, I think. Hmm. I know. I'm I know, surprised. Greg. You're very down on New England's defense. No, I'm not. I'm not. Just, you know. I'm not that down on them. I just they're a competitive team. 
their defense is is terrible. I mean, the the front seven of their defense, I would say, is the most talent-poor front seven in the entire NFL. And I would say their wide receiver position with Demir Bird, the definition of a journeyman, and Jacoby Myers as their top two guys by far are, are the most talent poor wide receiver core. So they have major problems. They have good coaching. They have a good running game. The, their secondary should be better. They're just good enough to have the ball late in games and lose. It's happened four times this year where Cam Newton's had the ball. And uh, I think they're getting what they could have gotten out of their offense. They're about they're close to average efficiency on offense. But they needed their defense to be close to where it was last year, and instead it totally fell off a cliff. And they've played all these young, dynamic quarterbacks. Uh, Belichick's been on, like, the tour of the quarterback revolution. Here's who they play. Lamar, Deshaun, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. You want to throw Russell Wilson in there earlier in the year, even Derek Carr, who's played well. Like, they've played great quarterbacks, and ultimately they haven't been up to the test defensively, and there's no reason to think they'll be up to the test against Kyler Murray. So yeah, I am. I it, all good points. I'm I'm very interested to see what version of the Cardinals offense shows up though. Mark mentioned the shoulder injury to Kyler, and that's you can't. I mean, shoulder injuries and quarterbacks and December or close to December don't mix. And I I'd be very very concerned and on edge and on pins and needles if mm. I'm a Cardinals fan until we get into game action on Sunday and see how he looks. They're gonna play him because if there's one knock on the Cardinals, it's that. It's Kyler's world, and it's like if they're going to go on like a, a, a beautiful run in January, it's going to be because of Kyler. If they're going to flame out and miss the play- playoffs, it's because of Kyler, and now you have an injured shoulder. The Fitzgerald absence to COVID-19, I know he's not Larry Fitzgerald anymore, but he was still the second most targeted player on this team uh, after De- DeAndre Hopkins, so that's asking Christian Kirk, who I think should be the guy getting more targets, uh, to step up in his absence, and maybe even Andy Isabella. And then my my third point on this game, and I'm going to tee up Greg. Greg, I've been thinking about this for a few days. I was really mm. looking forward to asking you this question. Mm. Uh, we are – where are the Patriots right now? What's their record again? They're four, four and, and six. six. So they got six games remaining. Uh, Cam Newton has been – a really interesting quarterback this year. We've seen almost different Cam Newtons throughout the year. He certainly has not been bad. He hasn't been great. He's in that big gray area in between. Is the quarterback of the New England Patriots currently on their roster, the starting quarterback in 2021? I'd guess no um, if I had to go, but I think it's pretty close to 50-50. I think it makes a lot of sense to bring Cam Newton back on a affordable deal and drafts one because to me, he's he's probably around the Dalton line this year, although the Dalton line's now moved so far down that ultimately that's a disadvantage. Like I think Cam Newton's been okay uh, for a replacement start. He's been amazing for a million dollars. That's why I put it on the defense. Their defense is so expensive and they're terrible. What do you expect out of a million dollar quarterback? He's a he's a replacement level starter, but that means he's like probably 24th, 25th in the league. That's not that's not ideal right now. Uh, if you, you can get him that low. Hmm. I, in my heart, I don't, but then when I actually stack up who's playing, like, there's a lot of quarterbacks, even like the average ones are having like okay years. So he's probably between 20 and 25 if I wrote him down. I think if you can get him back on a relatively affordable deal, he makes a lot of sense to bring back because I just don't know if you're going to do better. You they know? also have what, like the, what are you do? they have like the fourth most cap space projected right now for 
next offseason. So, like, if you tell me they get creative and get someone with like a huge ceiling, but I, I don't know who that is. Like, Sam I, other Darnold, than, other than developing uh, a rookie. You know, why not? Uh, why not Sam Darnold? That's not going to happen. I mean, the Jets just, would the never Jets are... trade Sam Darnold to the right. Patriots and risk right. that. I mean, unless there was some type of trickery where the Jets, Jets traded him somewhere and then Belichick got frisky and somehow you know double crossed the Jets that way, which I wouldn't put it past them. But he ain't going straight to New England. Maybe they Belichick, believe Belichick he can was get better. frisky enough to trade Drew Bledsoe to the Bills. Mm. Maybe they believe Cam can get better with a second year in the offense and better weapons around him. That's why I lean towards. Just keep him because what are you going to do that's any better? Go to, there, there were I've seen enough that of Jarrett. They kind of wanted him though. The, the Jarrett Stidham like eighty five snaps that he has has soured me on Jarrett Stidham because he's looked so overwhelmed and inept. Maybe that's too small a sample size, but I don't know. He, he's throwing be, an interception every other throw. They're probably going to lose nine or ten games, right? Uh, if you really had to, let's say seven and nine. Let's say they oh, go seven and nine. That would that, be a victory going three and three down the stretch with this schedule. For real. I think right. six and ten okay. is fair. How about this? Six and ten. That will give them probably what, like the thirteenth pick in the draft, maybe maybe ten to thirteen, let's put it in that range. I find it hard to believe that Belichick won't take this as the offseason to go get his his guy that it has yeah. not happened. Uh, really, and obviously it hasn't because Tom Brady was there, that this might be the year where they really go all in, even if it means trading up or, or something of that nature, to go get a quarterback. I think the, their rookie quarterback next year is a, a high first-round pick. I hope so. I think in pairing that person with Cam, I think is great because Cam's not going to do any better than this opportunity either. I think they kind of need each other. It's just figuring out the money. I, I think Cam can succeed in this offense, and he has to a point. Um, but if you if you help him out a little more, I don't know. I they're think not he would gonna, They're not going to roll into next year with just Cam. Like no. this was this was like if anything that what I think people are sleeping on with the money and the resources and what the offseason could be. Like this is a one year press pause and rebuild thing. There, this is not a five year rebuilding plan. Was, Belichick is not twenty five years old right now. Right. He was a bridge guy, and that's really how it's played out. All right, let's move on. My wife hinted, by the way, um, that she wants a custom charcuterie board for Christmas. I what is that? I don't really know what that is. It's, I think it's cheese-related, and I'm going to be doing research. And if oh, anyone the, Wait, the actual food or the board? I mean, charcuterie is like when you order the meats and the cheeses, you know, right. at a restaurant. She wants you know. a custom she wants the board. board. If anyone uh, out there is mm. in the custom charcuterie board sector like with her name on it or something i don't know i don't know you know what i saw yesterday a lot of people um taking pictures of what you're describing a charcuterie board to be like look at my spread and like look at this amazing table of food so maybe there's some (laughs) nothing could disgust mark more than barely get that out of his mouth no but how about this (laughs) i will i do have one and i'm not i'm not like trying to be down on thanksgiving it's a wonderful time for lots of people but I would say that one thing that people you ate a piece of frozen pizza by yourself on Thanksgiving. I know, but that was just situational. That's not what I would do if like I was around my family. But his game script went awry. Don't you understand, Greg? But hear me, hear me on this for a second. On Twitter, all these people taking pictures of like just their plate of food, and it's it's typically like grayish, a lot of grays and browns with like a little green. I would just I'm just saying they look it looks better in person. The photos of Thanksgiving food are really typically kind of gross. And because people aren't good photographer food photographers, not because the food is gross. It's not a food comment. 
The chance to understand your perspective, thing. Mark, is someone that doesn't like food and doesn't like meat and things of that. That's just going to from your eye. You're going to see that, and it's going to look gray and ugly no, to you. No, 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 because it's just simply like I. There are other, for instance, like I. I love like food blogs about food. I don't even. Um, eat on Instagram. I'll look at a lot of that stuff, and it's got to be photographed well. What I think it's got you got someone who like snapped like their like in weird light like their plate on their iPhone like half blurry like brown products, and then put it out and been like our meal for the day. Like you know what? Maybe I'm the only person that thinks everyone else. No, I think you're, Ansel I think, Adams is taking the rest of these photos. And no, I'm just I think you're the you're onto something here. I think if you're gonna send it out. Um, Get a some lot of colors in it, there. It doesn't look too good on Thanksgiving. Right. Like, just, it's fair. Just, I mean, these are people that are celebrating a holiday and they're I know, excited Dan, to like, like, this is not, have a communal experience. Why do we need to get on people for this? Is the, not a social justice commentary. To, I'm just saying, I'm happy to see your food. Take it. Take some time. Take some time with the food photos. Now, a, mu- a moot point at this. At the, you have to wait till next year. <laughs> All right. Um, this here's my next pick. It's going, going long today. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, like in a, in a in a draft in real life, where it's a someone with a high ceiling, uh, but there's some character issues, off the field concerns. So they drop way down the board, and then you grab this player, and it's like this could pay off, or it could blow up in my face. That's why I'm going to take uh, Pittsburgh at Baltimore, right at the bottom of the draft here, and the reasons should be apparent why this is a game uh, that uh, picking in a draft might not work out because it might not exist because the Ravens have a genuine uh, COVID-19 outbreak and it led to the Thanksgiving game, Thanksgiving primetime game being wiped away, pushed to Sunday late afternoon. And then just when you thought it couldn't get any more complicated, there you go, Lamar Jackson on Thanksgiving, we learned that he has tested positive for COVID-19. And it gets even more messy because in addition to all these continuing uh, positive tests for the Ravens, uh, this is not a situation where uh, you can move it again to the old double Monday night or Tuesday window unless you then impact week 13 because week 13 kicks off with, yes, the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday night football. So an absolute mess. The NFL, as we've talked about on the show, has danced through the raindrops uh, all season long on this. But as the numbers for COVID-19 uptick and rocket skyrocket um, across the country, uh, we were kind of overdue for the next uh, schedule-based crisis for the NFL. And here we are, Steelers-Ravens week 11 or 12. Yeah, and I think the timing of Lamar Jackson getting covid one thing I, you know, didn't really think about when we first saw the news was he's probably out two weeks if yep. they, if they play both these games yep, on time. Be. And so everything's up in the air. We're taping this Friday morning, and by Friday afternoon they might have an announcement one way or another. And so we'll find out. They're not going to be competitive with Robert Griffin the third against the Steelers. And uh, if they have Robert Griffin the third against the Cowboys, anything's up in the air because they're not just missing RG three; they're missing their two starting defensive tackles to injury, not to COVID. They're two of their best running backs and and other players throughout the week and their coaching staff. And and they got to play a Steelers team that I think is more dangerous lately because I think Ben's throwing the ball better lately. Well, I mean. In you know, even if you had Lamar Jackson, there's no one he's played worse against than the Steelers. Uh, over two starts, I mean, they've they've totally figured him out and, and taken him to town. So 
every time I've watched RG3 come into that lineup, and I know he was sort of trumpeted as someone that maybe you can, I guess you could be like a scout team, Lamar Jackson in practice if you're RG3, that kind of a player, but their offense has fallen off a cliff every time Lamar Jackson had not been in there. I mean, especially last year when he come in for a quarter here and there, they were a mess. So it's, I mean, it's total competitive imbalance. And I guess at some point, to me, the whole season has this, um, every team has an asterisk, but you lose Lamar Jackson to Corona for two weeks and they have, well, what? I I mean, I guess that just, but everyone's lost. It's, not everyone has it, lost the same amount of stuff at all. It's no, no, not at not all. True. Like, I, but I mean, yeah, but it's it's part of like the in, basically it's like injuries this year, and some teams have been hurt harder than others. It's I'm more interested in what this means for the league. Kind of like Dan said, like what are they? They're not going to do a forfeit, but they have suspended that coach, so they're sort of admitting some fault here. The Steelers players are upset, and I get that, but it, I don't. You know, I think it's this year you just got to kind of accept anything. It's a one fifteen game. How did they decide on that? By the way, every other game is at one, but the NBC Raven Steelers is at one fifteen. It's like, oh, we're special, but we're only fifteen minutes apart. That I don't is get that. Uh, this is the Alan Chris game, still, by the way. So Alan Chris is are either going to have the week off or they're going to be on a one fifteen game. That's weird. Tony Dungy and Mike Tirico are announcing Packers uh, Bears Sunday. Night, the whole thing is wacky. <laughs> well, it's with the, on the Steelers side too. Like, there's a couple ways to look at it. They are annoyed. They're upset. We saw a bunch of angry tweets from Eric Ebron and others. They had their buy wiped out uh, during the Titans outbreak, which was on the Titans and not the Steelers. And now the Ravens have an outbreak, and uh, because of that, they lose what they were viewing as a mini buy on Thursday. They would play on Thanksgiving and then have three or four or five days off that's not happening and then if there by any chance there was a forfeit uh they wouldn't be paid uh the players so they, they really want to see us now that these the other the other side of this is this is a huge break for the Steelers uh from a competition standpoint because if you play end up playing this game uh the Ravens are so compromised I think if these teams were at full strength, and I'm I'm more down on the Ra- the Ravens than others, but I think a Raven team at six and four, healthy and desperate, uh, would have been a really tough challenge for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. And quite simply, it's just if they play this game, it's not going to be that way. The Steelers, barring some type of really crazy happenstance, are going to be eleven and zero after. That, that's this where week. I'm coming from. Like I get that everyone has to deal with it in quotes, but come on. I mean, like, I like this. This to me is like dancing through the raindrops. That's one thing they were doing for a while. That's not what they're able to do now. In in Baltimore's season, what I guess what's the other option? Because to me, it's like it's a miracle they've gotten through all these, and it's and it shows our priorities too. Like, there's no perfect solution. Yeah, like, but like week eighteen that they talked about, like if things became serious enough, like what is serious enough? Because it's not. It's clearly. You know, not it doesn't. You lose your quarterback doesn't matter. But if there's if it's spreading through the building, that's what would cancel games, right? So it's more safety impacted than you were saying before, Greg, on like the particular player. But to me, like if you're looking at the course of your season as the Baltimore Ravens and the Steelers have a right to be annoyed too. I mean, I don't know. You're gonna lose. You're gonna lose part of the locker room with this situation because it's like 
you're 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 not you're not able to compete against Pittsburgh in the biggest game of your year that is being asked to save your season. It's not you, you have no Mark Ingram, you have no Dobbins. I mean, your offensive line. I mean, it's a, a test. Their t- the team's resolve. If they quit because of this and they go out like lambs, that's an indictment on the whole roster. But I, I am also I, like am I but am I like screaming into the wind here? I just find it to be absurd. Like it's, wait, it's I mean, a like, tough well, situation. I guess what's but the, what do you do? I, I guess, guess what's I, your plan? What's just, your solution? That's why I'm saying the season to me has an asterisk on it. I don't say cancel the season, but it's not legitimate to me the same way. It, it, now it's legitimate for like I think twenty three to twenty four teams, twenty five. Well, here's my question: What is the trigger where the NFL would open up the playoffs? Which we've heard that they would have an expanded playoffs. That they, take that they this have game to push, being wiped out. I think it's going to take multiple games being pushed to a theoretical week eighteen. Listen, like, Mark, the Ravens tried, are absolutely screwed that. here. There, I, I agree with you, uh, but they are in some in some ways just a victim of circumstance. And I, I, I don't, I wouldn't put it on an entire asterisk on the season because it could have happened to anyone. But it, it is just it's a different year and it's yeah. not ideal. Luck you know? is it's part just, of it, but they also are at fault. I mean, they're they're they literally suspended their coach because he isn't. You know, because he didn't follow well, protocols. Well, he's at fault. The, the well, they versus he is being. But that's their around. that's like, their organization, and we don't know everything else. But he didn't. He reportedly didn't have the wristband on, and he didn't, you know wasn't wearing anything. And that's a strength coach who's around every single player. It's one of the only people that's around every player. Oof. And so, yeah, you know that All that's right. part of it. They're at fault. So we'll see what happens. Uh, as of right now, the game is still on, but that could change by the time you hear this show. Finally, let's wrap things up with a primetime game, Monday Night Football. It is the Seattle Seahawks, 7-3, and three, at the Philadelphia Eagles, 3-6-1. and one. Now the Eagles, you know, they've lost two straight games out of their bye, and Washington, with that win over Dallas, moves ahead of them in the win column. So now there's some pressure on here. You've kind of run out of your rope. Even in the NFC East, there's a limit to how much rope you have. You can't just keep losing. You got to win at some point. <laughs> the problem is here, uh, Greg, that you got the, the Seattle Seahawks that are maybe, just maybe, over the last two weeks, showing signs that they are figuring it out on defense and getting where they need to be, which is average, because average will take care of the rest. I, I totally agree. And they're going to get Shaq Griffin back, their starting cornerback, I'd say their best cornerback for this game. They are probably getting Chris Carson, who makes a huge difference for that offense. They're probably getting Posick, their center, who's been one of their best, if not their best offensive lineman other than Dwayne Brown. So you're getting healthier, and the Eagles just found out they lost Lane Johnson for the season. You would think this would be a mismatch anyways. You know, like Carson Wentz, they're doing the opposite of letting Wentz cook. They're just trying to, like, limit him making mistakes, and he's still making them, at least against the Browns. So it's it's like they're going into a shell, and even that's not working, and they're talking about simplifying the offense even more. I just, it's hard to see much light uh, at the end of the tunnel for them. A little bit of a weakness on weakness here, because the Eagles are allowing a league-high 40 sacks so far. Um, total chaos for Carson Wentz. He walks into a few himself. Um, but Seattle, you know, they still can't rush the passer. But Carlos Dunlap, um, who I think some people, when, when Seattle traded for him, like, you know, he's past his prime. He's not the same guy. Fair enough. He made a play when they needed someone to make a play against the Cardinals. I don't really, you know, it's like throw out all the metrics and stuff. They needed someone to come in and make a difference. And Bobby Wagner, and I know this means nothing to media people typically, said that there were like 
there was it was a matter of pride to show up in that game. And they weren't perfect and they're not going to be perfect, but that there are a lot of veterans on that defense and you know that was Seattle's bread and butter in the old days. Um that they had been hearing it, you know, for week after week that they're just an embarrassment. So I I think it matters more than just, you know, than we would realize sometimes with these players. And I look at the Eagles team and I see a coaching staff that is asked about the same issues every week. It's Carson Wentz's play. It's Jason Peters not being the Jason Peters we used to know. It's would Jalen Hurts get more of a chance to operate in this environment? And each time Doug Peterson basically says, well, that's on me, that's on me, that's on me, and nothing changes. They have no answers for any of this. And one more loss, um, I, I I don't know. Projecting Philadelphia into the the crown makes no sense anymore. They're the team I'd least like to see of any team in the NFC East in the playoffs. I mean, All look, three other look, teams are more intriguing. Look at their schedule. If they can't find a way to win this week, they are absolutely uh, done for, I think. Um, hmm. trying to think. Where did I have this schedule? I just lost It's brutal. It. You're right. They, they finished with two division games. I, when I look at the out-of-division games in this division remaining, the Giants have the Bengals this week. That's nice for them. But I don't see a lot of potential wins for any of these teams out of the division. So it still seems like it's going to come down to those division games. The Eagles would have to sweep their, their remaining two. But Dan, read Phillies because it's yes, rough. Here is the schedule. So you have uh, obviously Seattle at home, at Green Bay, home New Orleans, at loss, Arizona, loss, loss. at Dallas, bye home, bye. Washington. So See I you think, later. I think you're. Co- I mean, we we're talking about the NFC East here, so I, I I find it hard to fork them, even if they lose on Sunday. But they are in deep, deep doo doo if they don't find a way to step up. And um, if you, it's let Russ cook. Like, what is it like? Let Wentz watch. I don't know. I don't <laughs> want him in the kitchen right now. There's nothing that that he can do. And I know you're very down, Mark, on Doug Peterson. But yes. and maybe this is on Doug Peterson, but it's the same way. Sometimes I think you're a little overly hard on Nagy. It's like at some point, like the quarterback is going to submarine teams sometimes. And I think that's what's happened here a little bit with their offense, that they could try all these different ways to get Carson Wentz going. But if he doesn't get going, he, everyone's going to look bad as a result. And uh, so I think that that's that's just a big part of this. Is he ever going to turn it on? I don't I don't think the light goes on at this point. Uh, maybe he's a, a teardown project here. And Carlos Dunlop, to your point about Dunlop, uh, three and a half sacks in three games in Seattle. Uh, he's also getting to the quarterback, seven quarterback hits, five tackles for loss when he's not getting sacks. Jadavian Clowney, I know he won the you know the win rate on the edge. No one's better than Jadavian Clowney last we year. We all have our guys that we're pretty hard on. Yes, but- he had three sacks in. You know, 13 games last year for Seattle. So Dunlop has made the difference and filled that clowny hole. The, the last thing I would do, though, is coming out of an Eagles conversation, suggesting that maybe Doug Peterson is the, is a big part of the exciting solutions ahead. I mean, I just I think part of it is quarterback coach relationship. I, that relationship is broken right I'm now, and stop, I don't Angelo. feel like in 2020. Like I need to have a lot of patience with mm. with coaching staffs that like can't figure out any creative solutions when we're seeing such creative creativity around the league. I think to Mark's point, and this is partly a victim of Doug Peterson's success. Could I imagine Shanahan, McVay, Reich, even McDaniel's, considering the situation they're looking at, uh, Reed having anywhere close to this level of failure with Carson Wentz? I don't think I could. 
Yeah, I think but that's they would such be better. that's so. I mean, that is conjecture because entering the season, none of us, none of us could have predicted Wentz doing this. Like that's what what's made this such a baffling subplot that a twenty twenty season that he was never this was never supposed to happen. It is, and a I mystery. get it. It's just like, and we say we look at other coaches in the league and offenses taking off. Well, those are offenses with dynamic young quarterbacks that are going off and playing well and playing with confidence. Here's which the is thing: quite though. simply, the Eagles don't have that. I, I get it, but okay, let's use the Patriots example. You know, and they have an offensive line, which which matters. But you you look at a team that's been close to average in terms of efficiency with Cam Newton and with those receivers and or you look at San Francisco and what they do with Nick Mullins like the coaches don't feel like they're helping Carson Wentz that that's for sure whatever it is it's a failure on both of them but the coaches are failing too yeah I think listen there's definitely a case to be bo- made for both sides have you um, invested in that uh, Doug Peterson Prudential company or whatever that we mentioned <laughs> on it I mean, you sound like suddenly it's just you're all like, in on this guy it's no it's one of the things that sometimes like get on my radar analysis that Barry is a head coach because the quarterback stinks it's like sometimes it's it, it feels unfair on the coach that's part all. of it's like the quarterback was playing at MVP level with a certain coaching staff um, the coaching staff has changed. The quarterback is failing. The offense is the most boring offense in the entire league and was boring last year, too. So at some point, like, the stink is going to be on the people that are being paid millions of dollars to run the show. Right. That is that is the nature of the game. I just sometimes feel it to be unfair. That's all. Well, it, it, this is a very unfair business. Men are sure fired is. weekly. I mean, what do we... What do we... Sure is. Sure is. Life So, well, let's give Adam Gase a, a, another couple of years to figure his plan out. I mean, what? When? who gets picked on and who is allowed to just continue on in mediocrity? I don't know. It's unfair. You've made an amazing Adam Gase-based point, Mark. You've done it again. Oh, Congratulations. All right. All right. All right. We are done. That's it. That's the full preview of uh, week 12. We'll be back on Sunday night, as we always are, hopefully with Chris Wessling in tow. If not, we will um, forge on without uh, the great Mr. Wessling. Uh, but fingers crossed on that. Uh, everyone enjoy uh, your the beginning of the holidays. How about that? It is nice. It feels good to get over this hump, for real. I like I like seeing the end of the I like a little change to the routine and I like seeing the end of the season a little bit of change. We've only got like 5 what weeks left, but only 3 of them are normal. Then we get into Christmas, we get into the week 17. It's like we only got 3 kind of routine weeks left. Let's do God, it. I just hope I just hope things don't get worse on that other with the other thing. I'm nervous about that. Oh my goodness. All right. Good stuff. Stan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm and the old boss. Till Sunday.
Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Monogram at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.